Well, hey, uh, wow, it is so awesome to see everybody. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. On behalf of our staff and leaders and all who call this home, welcome. It is so great to have you here. Uh, I know normally we're in the park. Now, just a point of celebration, and I share this not to highlight about Zion, but rather what God is doing in and through Zion right now. Uh, you may not be aware of this, but last week we had over 900 people at the park. And the week before that, we were just under 900. And here's why I share this. God is doing something in and through Zion. How many would you agree with that? Say amen. 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 You can clap that. God is doing good stuff. Yeah. Um, and here's what I, I want to highlight is that first and foremost, the way the kingdom of God works, and this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, is you and I inhabit the kingdom of God, but more importantly, the kingdom of God inhabits us. Did you guys catch that? And so the reason what God is doing is partly your faithfulness. And here's what I want you to hear. And this is so important for us as a church to remember this. We don't grow the kingdom. God does. It is the work of the Holy Spirit through faithful men and women, through our volunteers, through our staff. But more importantly, it's when we come together to inhabit Jesus, that the, the praises of Jesus inhabit his people. Does that make sense? And this morning, that's why we're here. And so as we look at this, uh, something happened during worship, and I don't know if you caught it or not, maybe you didn't hear it, um, Brett, who was playing drums, his son came up and was like, hi, daddy. <laughs> and it was adorable, but at the same point, it actually welled something up in me, because I don't know if you know this, but that's what worship is supposed to be. That's what, when we come together as people, as sons and daughters of the king, we are here ultimately to say what? Hi, daddy. <laughs> and, and that's... What's that supposed to be? By the way, here's the thing. We're a family church. You're going to hear babies crying. That's totally cool. We are a church that loves children. Amen? Amen? Children are part of this. Jesus had the little ones come to him. And so if you have a little one, if those things happen, please don't feel bad. We're okay with it. That's why we have microphones. Plus, I'll just say it's an amen. That's, it's, they're just agreeing with me. That's all. That's all. It's them saying amen. Right? I'm, it's cool. And then maybe we can take a lesson. You know, maybe, maybe we can all learn from the kids. Um, <laughs> I, I got off track a little bit. <laughs> I lost my place. Where was I going? Oh, yeah, here we go. So, whoo! <laughs> uh, because it's Father's Day, one, I real quickly want to say happy Father's Day to all of you men who have been out there, who some of you, maybe you never had children of your own, but you've been spiritual fathers. You've been a mentor to somebody for our fathers, grandfathers, aunt, uh, uncles, those who have stepped into those roles. Happy Father's Day. Now, because of that, I have to do a couple dad jokes. Uh, so my daughter's already excited about them. She's already heard these, but it's okay. You guys ready for these? Now, I, I got to tell you, I wrote these, so if they fall, Abram Fryn wrote them. They're his fault. Uh, what's, what's, <laughs> what's the only fruit that always comes with another fruit? A pear. <laughs> what's the only vegetable that always has leftovers? Asparagus. <laughs> wait, wait. What's what's the only what's the only vegetable that just happens to show up unexpectedly? A turnip. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. First of all, thank you for humoring me. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my I, my kids. How many of you remember when your kids were real little and they would try and tell jokes but they never made sense? You know what I'm talking about. My son would be like, Dad. 
What? Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Stick in my pants. What? <laughs> what? And so I, I had a joke, and my job is to come up with jokes on the spot, and so one of mine was, what's, what's a tree's favorite car to drive? A stick. <laughs> Especially when it's got a big trunk. <laughs> All right, that's, I'm done. I'm done. I promise. I promise I'm done. Um, <laughs> welcome to Zion. <laughs> one of our values is fun, and we really believe that the kingdom of God is supposed to be fun. Amen? And it's okay to laugh, it's okay to cry, emotions are part of the kingdom. And we've been doing this series called God Is. And in this series, we've been exploring using the Lord's Prayer, part of the Sermon on the Mount, to talk about God's heart. What God desires about, first and foremost, that we would know about Him, but also what we would learn about ourselves. And in the process of that, when we take the Lord's Prayer seriously, it's an invitation to explore and know God's heart more. More for you, for the world, for his church. And so we've been walking through this series, and, and we're coming on to this part where we're looking at the power of the prayer, but more importantly, we're talking about the kingdom. And I, I want to quote to you from a theologian named Albert Moeller. This is what he says. The Lord's Prayer is for revolutionaries, for men and women who want to see the kingdoms of this world give way to the kingdom of the Lord. And there is a kingdom theology that takes place that sometimes we neglect or don't understand. And here's what I want you to say is that when we rightly understand the Lord's prayer, it's not just about praying that God would do something for us, but it's actually a prayer that has the power to shape and form not only the world, but you. That it, it can reshape who you are to help you fundamentally understand who God is calling you to be in the world. And it actually does have the power to transform the world around us. Now, while Jesus gives us a clear order that we are to pray, he never actually says, this is then the words you should say, but this is how you should pray. It's a map. It's a guidepost to explore. It's not just supposed to be ritual or something we say over and over again. The building of the prayer, I want you to imagine for a moment a house, okay? If you're building a house, and I know some people who are building houses right now, and the first thing you lay down for the house is the foundation, right? Well, imagine the first two verses of the Lord's Prayer are setting up the corners of the foundation. It's setting up the foundation for the rest of the prayer, the rest of what God wants to do. And today we're going to talk about pouring the foundation. So first we lay the corners and now we pour. And so this is kind of what it looks like. It starts off that with the words our. First thing we need to remember is we're part of a community. We're not just solo. There's no solo Christianity. There's no lone wolves. We are part of something bigger than us. We say it this way, the we is bigger than me. Did you catch that? The we is bigger than me. Then Jesus goes on to say, listen, it's not just you're part of a community, but because of faith in Jesus, you now become part of a family. That in Christ, when we place our faith and hope in Jesus as Lord, we are adopted into this family, and we are now made family in Jesus. Now, I don't know everybody's family situation. I didn't grow up with a big family. For me, the church was my family. There's a big part of family that takes place, and it's so much thicker than blood. Because here's the thing. The church becomes the family for everybody in it. That's why it's so important to be a part of a church. 
You need a church community because church is supposed to be the family of God. Does that make sense? And so because of the, the Father reminds us that we are family through Jesus. And then he says, who is in heaven, which reminds us that God is a perfect father, not a human father. And it reminds us, it's an invitation to all of the character, all of the qualities, the things about God that we love, his holiness, love, grace, mercy, kindness, justice, all of the things that are ultimately perfect in God, that's what his name is about, which then leads us to what we talked about last week is, hallowed be your name. And that word hollow doesn't mean, it, it can mean holy is your name, but it's better rendered this, God make your name holy. Make your name famous in the world. And we as Christians, if you were here last week, we talked about the importance of worship. When we come to worship, it is one part praise and one part warfare. That we are actually stepping into something that is more than just physical, it is spiritual. Because we believe in a literal Satan. He's not equal to God. He's not. I want you to hear that. One of the lies that people will tell you is Satan and God are in this ultimate battle. We never know who's going to win. We already know who's going to win. Satan was a created being. God is eternal and has always existed. Amen? And so Satan wants to take down as many people as possible. And one of the ways that he distracts the church is that we forget the power of worship. When we sing, when we lift our hands, when we come and do the things of worship, making Jesus' name famous in this place, it wages heavenly warfare. But bigger yet is when we leave these doors and we make the name of Jesus famous in our lives. That's where the real warfare takes place. This is just a warm-up for what we're supposed to be doing out there. Did you catch that? I want to highlight something God did yesterday that was really cool. Uh, we've got a, a men's group that is formed, uh, led by Lee Nagel and Jake Lee and a few other guys. And uh, a few months ago, they came to Jennifer Colby, who's our director of adult ministries, and they said, hey, we feel like God is calling us to do something, and so we want to change oil. We want to do an oil change and just love on single moms or people in need. And so yesterday, they did it. They did the stuff where they just loved on our community. No, no strings attached. It was just purely, hey, we want to bless you. We've got talents and skills. We want to make the name of Jesus famous by serving those who have needs. And they did it yesterday. Can we just give a clap and a thank you for what God is doing there? That's awesome. That's how we make the name of Jesus famous in this place is by how we live outside of here. And we're doing more of that. Our focus is missions and community. We want to see those two things happen in this place. We want to see small groups begin to build and form that you would have community and family. But more importantly, as you would remember, the goal of community is not just to go inward, it's to go outward and to love Clear Lake, Mason City, Ventura, wherever else, whatever else is around. Wherever you are, that's where God wants you to love. And Zion is starting to do that work. And it's pretty awesome. And I got to tell you, there's some amazing things coming up with kids ministry. That's super exciting. Z youth. I mean, God is doing some awesome things. And you and I get to be a witness to the history of what God is building here. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty jazzed about it. Now, the next part of the Lord's Prayer is the pouring of the foundation. Those four corners, uh, his community, his family, uh, his name, his fame, those are the four corners of the foundation. And today, we're going to see how Jesus pours the foundation, laying it down. And it's 14 words that change everything. And quite frankly, this is where the real danger lies. 
See, people can say these next things and they can pray them and even believe them, but that doesn't mean they've submitted to them. James says that even, even the demons believe in Satan or believe in Jesus and they shudder at his name. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus, it's submitting to Jesus. And here's what the next words are and why they are so dangerous, because they require faith. See, we pray in Jesus' name. It's an invitation for God to do something in us, to us, and through us. And so when we pray these words, they actually shape and form, and here they are. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, if you know this by heart, can you, can, actually it's up there. Can we all say that out loud together? Would you join me in this? Ready? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about the power of those words. Those words are an invitation to God, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are literally saying, not my kingdom, not mine, will, your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want to talk about something that will flip your world upside down if you let it? One of the most dangerous things to do is actually pray something and mean it. <laughs> if you've ever prayed, oh, for God, give me humility. Lord, teach me patience. I prayed for patience one time. Whoo! Then I had kids. <laughs> and I was like, the Lord, I'm going to teach you patience, Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is one of those prayers that when you actually mean it, God can do something incredible. How many of you, by an amen, want to see Jesus do something incredible in your life? Say amen. amen. See, what happens when we do that, when we actually mean it, and, and that's the word amen literally means let it be. The Beatles didn't claim that song. God claimed it way before the Beatles ever did. Let it be. God, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's the thing. There's kingdom language here that we don't always understand as Americans. See, we didn't grow up in a kingdom like the world does. Now, we all have kingdoms, but let me explain this. We live in a republic, and part of that is we don't have kings and queens. We don't have a physical monarch that rules over our world. And, and I know today, in, in modern times, the, the Queen of England is more of a figurehead than a power source. Like, I get that. But that wasn't the world of Jesus. In the world of Jesus, there were kingdoms and empires. There were Caesars, emperors, kings and queens, and they had ultimate authority. If the president doesn't like you, so what? But if a king or queen or an emperor or Caesar doesn't like you, you could lose your head. See, to, to pray a kingdom is kingdom language, and sometimes we miss how important this language is because it actually means far more than we give it credit to. Uh, we just, you had, if you walked in, you may have heard us singing Hamilton. How many of you guys recognize that? You're like, why are we singing Hamilton, right? King George, this Hamilton is the story, it's a musical of how America came to fight against England and we're looking to be separated from England. And King George sings these lyrics and I, I want you to hear them in case, in case you're not familiar with them. And if you've ever seen the musical or watched the video on Disney, the guy who plays him is a genius. And John Hopple apparently does a really good King George. I was trying to get him to do it up here and then like, maybe not, because he'll look silly. And I'm like, I know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Because I look silly up here all the time. See, it's all good, John. We're good. Okay, so listen to the words he says. 
He's singing, and it sounds really happy, but he says this, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Because <laughs> when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. <laughs> now, we can laugh at that, and that's kind of the silliness of it, but that's what kingdom is. For Jesus preaching in this world, Caesars were not usually good kings. In fact, most Caesars came into power by assassinating the previous Caesar. And here's the part that we don't always realize. Kingdoms are meant to be reflections of their king. So if you have a benevolent, a loving, a kind king, your kingdom looks loving and kind and generous. But if you have a mean, vicious, tyrannical king, guess what your kingdom looks like? It's ruthless. And in the world of Jesus, and this is part that we might understand in human history, is that Israel had been under multiple kingdoms, and every kingdom was overthrown by the next one through violence and power. You had Israel who was enslaved to the Egyptians. Then the Assyrians came and they conquered the Egyptians. And then the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. And then the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And then the Greeks conquered the Persians. And then the Romans came and assimilated the Greeks in. So by the time of Jesus, God's people had been under multiple kingdoms for 1,500 years. They'd been through kingdoms and every single one of them was founded on violence found through literally they would come to war they would kill people in order to do it now we don't have to look very far we actually see the same thing happen today about 60 70 years ago there was a man named hitler and what did we see about hitler's kingdom we saw a kingdom that was ruled by a man who hated certain peoples jews and if you didn't look or act like his ideal his ideal for what it meant to be in his kingdom, you were killed. You were executed. Now, let's go even a little bit closer. See, here in our world, our kings don't come into power. Our presidents are elected into power, which means our presidents are a reflection of our kingdom. That's the key difference. See, presidents don't come into power, we elect them into power, which means that our presidents are a reflection of what's going on inside of us as a nation. And that's part of the reason why when we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it may not necessarily land because we're used to the kingdom looking more like us and us less like it. Does that make sense? And so regardless of whether or not, I mean, here's the thing, and I'm so grateful for our nation. We live in an amazing country. We have a lot of freedoms that a lot of people don't. And the truth is this, kings could be in power, a bad king, for decades. Here, you can have a bad president, and he or she will only reign for four to eight years. So we don't always get how powerful this language is. And I get it. We're 2,000 years removed from it but it still matters to us today. I want you to think for a second now, and again, I, I'm really, I'm not trying to be political, but I think we might miss just how dangerous, how subversive, how treasonous this prayer that Jesus taught us actually is. And it really is. This is, Jesus wasn't executed because of doing miracles. He was executed because he was a threat. 
He was a threat to the powers of the day, to the kingdom of the Jewish religious leaders, but ultimately because he seemed to be a threat to Caesar. So when Jesus prayed this, he literally put a target on his back. I want to point you to Mark 1.15 if you have your Bibles. Or you can turn to the Zion app. Which you, if you haven't downloaded the Zion app, please do. It's got a Bible app in it. It also allows you to keep up to date. It's got messages. And we've got our new podcast that we launched a few weeks ago called The Breakthrough Breakdown, where we go in deeper to talk about the message each week. And I'd encourage you to check it out. Mark chapter 1, that's the second gospel. It's not the Lord's Prayer. I mean, that's our verse today. But I want us to turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them or turn in your app. Mark 115. Actually, I'm going to start at 14. Sorry. After John, that's the cousin of Jesus, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, there are three questions that we kind of come to, and I, I want us to look at these, and we're going to talk about these and frame them in for us. The first one is, is what exactly is God's kingdom? I mean, is it a physical location? Does it have a, a capital? Does it have buildings and structures? What is this kingdom that Jesus was talking about, God's kingdom? Well, first off, the kingdom is wherever Jesus is king. That's his kingdom. If I go to Canada, they don't care about American laws because the president, our laws are not Canadian laws, right? If I go to Canada, I'm in a different territory. Well, God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is king. Now, here's why this is important. This, when Jesus taught us to pray that our father, you've got to remember, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't rose from the grave, and he hasn't ascended to heaven. And the Bible tells us is that after Jesus ascended, he ascended, or after he resurrected, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Father literally gave all of his authority to the Son. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. So now it's no longer the Father who's going to judge us. It's no longer the Father that we need to go to. We petition Jesus because the authority has been handed over to him. But when Jesus was preaching this, he hadn't died yet. He hadn't rose from the grave. He hadn't ascended to the Father. Jesus is eternally existing with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about that. Wherever the kingdom of God is, it is where Jesus is king. And how do we know what the kingdom is supposed to look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. You want to know the reason why you need to read your Bibles, why we need to read the Gospels and the epistles and the letters? It's because that is how we learn a picture of what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. And Jesus didn't come swinging a sword. He came loving and healing and redeeming. One of the things that I think we often forget is Jesus must have been a really fun guy because he got invited to all the parties. You know who doesn't get invited to all the parties? Not fun people. <laughs> Jesus, there was something about Jesus that they wanted him around. And I don't think it's because he went into the room and said, hey guys, want to talk about me? <laughs> I think he came in and he loved people so well. He knew how to laugh and enjoy life. But all those qualities, all those characters of God the Father, the Bible tells us in Colossians that Jesus is the perfect portrait of God. 
He is the perfect image of God, and so everything we see Jesus do is the ultimate reflection of who God is. And so when we read the Gospels, we get a picture. Well, why does it matter to us? Because the kingdom is supposed to look like the king. And if you and I are meant to be in the kingdom of God, but also the kingdom reigns in us, when we love well, we make Jesus famous, but more importantly, we bring the kingdom of God with us. Does that make sense? How we act as a church, how we act as a people, that is a reflection of God's kingdom moving first in and through us, but now out into the world. So that's what his kingdom is. The kingdom is wherever Jesus is king, and it's not a physical location. All of the things that we worship about God, his love, mercy, kindness, truthfulness, justice, grace, sovereignty, when we pray God's kingdom come, we are actually praying to look more like Jesus, loving, truthful, faithful, focused on God's glory. But then Jesus makes that comment. He says, why do we need to pay attention? Because it's near. Now, sometimes we think that that means that God's kingdom didn't exist. No, God's kingdom was initiated in the garden. That actually is where the kingdom began. And then sin came in and messed everything up. Isn't it funny how sin has a way of doing that? Sin tends to take good things and make it ugly. It's not supposed to be that way. And Jesus came, not because the kingdom wasn't there, but somewhere when sin came into the world and twisted the kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus came to say, no, no, this new kingdom, it's coming and it's near. And in other words, it's closer than you realize. It doesn't mean that it hasn't arrived. It means that you may not have eyes to see and ears to hear because it's here already and it's moving. When Jesus died on the cross, he went to war against sin and death. When he rose from the grave, he declared victory over sin and death. But we are still waiting for the ultimate reign of his kingdom. When Jesus returns, and this is ultimately what it's talking about, is when Jesus returns, sin and death are going to be vanquished once and for all. Right now, the war is not over. We're still in battles. But it's like the difference between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day is the war. When Jesus went to the cross, that initiated D-Day. The beaches of sin and death got stormed and Jesus conquered it. But it's going to take a little while for the enemy to finally be vanquished. Victory Day. And so when we pray his kingdom come, it's realizing that there is a battle. It is a real battle. It's already here, but not yet fully realized. And there are some people who still think the war is not won and they're living that way. That's part of the reason why the church exists, is to go out and proclaim the good news that victory is coming, that the battle has already been won. Amen? We go out into the world to be the hands and feet. Now, there's another side to this as well. And I just talked about it a little bit earlier, is that the kingdom is a language, again, it's, it's rooted in warfare. It's rooted in blood and violence because that's how the world always operated in the past. And still does. Did you re And I want you to think about this. Tell me one example of a nation that gained ground by simply going, hey, buddy, you want to have a talk? Let's make peace. No, how do we typically gain ground? Through warfare or treachery. That's how the world operates, right? We don't gain ground through making peace. We gain ground through lying, stealing, manipulating, bullying, oppression, warfare. That's how the world operates. God's kingdom doesn't operate that way. God's kingdom doesn't operate through physical warfare. There is spiritual warfare for sure, but that's not how it happens. Let me give you an example. In John 18, Jesus knows that he's been betrayed by uh, uh, 
What's that, Judas? I couldn't remember the dude's name. <laughs> Jesus knows he's been betrayed by Judas, and he's in the garden with all of his disciples. And the, the Jewish high priest comes with the Roman guards, and they go to take ca uh, Jesus captive. And I love this, and you may not catch this at first. It says that when Jesus spoke, all of them literally fell backwards. It meant the, Jesus had so much power simply that when he spoke, it knocked everybody on their butt. Some of you need Jesus to speak in your, butt, to speak in your life to knock you on your butt. <laughs> There's the words. It's coming out. I'm going to let that one sink in for a moment. And I'm going to take a drink to recover. See, I was so funny, I made it fizz. Look at that. Oh, I love not being perfect. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. Jesus, you, some of you need a word from the Lord to knock you on your can. You do. You need Jesus to speak in such a way that it literally knocks you off your feet. But here's what happens. So they go to take Jesus captive and Peter, the fisherman, fisherman Peter. Now, at first you read this, is like, oh, he must have known it was coming. Peter draws his sword. It was not uncommon for everybody to carry a sword because the world was very different back then than it is now, okay? Some of you conceal and carry. There was no concealing. It was just carrying, right? I got my sword. And Peter takes out his sword to defend Jesus. And you want to know how manly P Peter is? He doesn't swing for a Roman guard because I think he knows he's going he's, he's to lose that one. He doesn't even swing for the high priest. He goes for the servant of the high priest. And because he's so skilled, he misses and cuts off the dude's ear. And Jesus grabs the man's ear. And I picture he's literally, he's bleeding from his ear. Now, interestingly, I'm just, I, I, here's the thing. <laughs> Jesus grabs the ear puts it back on the man's head and then heals it right there and heals the ear in place. Now, how cool would that be to see? Like, no ear? Ear. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then Jesus says, Peter, no, that's not how my kingdom works. Jesus is then brought into the trial for Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is acknowledging, he's like, listen, the Jews have no case against him. And he realizes that the Jews, he doesn't want an uprising of the Jews. And so he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? He's, he's not a threat to us. And they're like, we don't care. We want Jesus dead. And so Pilate finds a workaround and he says, hey, Jesus, is it true that some call you the king of the Jews? Now, if Jesus says yes, that's treason. That's penalty of death. There's no king but Caesar. And I, I want you to hear this because when he asks this, check this out, John 18, 33 through 35. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus after Jesus has been, has been tortured. He's been beaten, kicked, all this stuff. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replies, am I a Jew? How am I supposed to know? Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Listen to what Jesus says next. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Interestingly, what did Peter try to do? Peter tried to incite violence. Peter tried to do what he thought you're supposed to do. How do you win a war? Through violence. Peter was thinking that's how God's kingdom is supposed to be, and Jesus shuts it down immediately. No, no, no. My kingdom doesn't look like this. Jesus' kingdom isn't of this world. It's from another place. It doesn't have borders and boundaries. It doesn't occupy a ge geographical location. Jesus' kingdom is not America. 
It's not. It's never meant to be. It's also not the Vatican. It's, there is no physical location for Jesus' kingdom. And this is why Jesus talks about this. It's not a Jewish kingdom or an American kingdom. God's kingdom is found in the world wherever his people, his kingdom family, reside. Amen? The kingdom of God is in you. Wherever you are, the kingdom goes. So when you go to your job, what goes with you? The kingdom of God. When you're changing the oil of a single mom, where does the kingdom go? When we're in here, what's gathering? This is just a building. This building could burn down. That doesn't stop God's kingdom. This is not the kingdom. The church, this building isn't even actually the church. You're the church. We are the church. We are the kingdom of God manifest. Listen to this, uh, Luke 17, 20 through 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, what does that mean? Some people say it's in your heart, but that makes it sound like it's all about emotions and feelings. No, what it actually means is this. God's kingdom comes when you and I surrender our lives to Jesus. When we say, Jesus, I want you to be the king, not me, not fame, not power, not money, you and you alone are meant to be king, your kingdom come. But then we pray for the next part, which is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do you and I need to repent and believe? That was the third part of Jesus' statement, is we first have to repent. Here's the thing, and I want every single one of you to hear this. I don't care if you're a child, if you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, we're all guilty of this. We all think that the kingdom is about me. And often our prayer sounds more like this, Lord, my kingdom come, my will be done. Lord, move in heaven on earth the way I want you to. That's the human dilemma. Every single one of us operates that way. I do, you do, it's part of our brokenness. The reason why we need to repent is that all of us have put, we've kicked Jesus off the throne and sometimes we want to be there or we let something else be there. It could be our happiness, it could be a hobby, it could be our families. All of these things get in the way, and that's something we all need to repent of. Now, here's the thing, I, I'm, I know uh, we're coming to this, and I, I want you to hear this last part because it's so critical. Uh, I recently had, we call them kairos moments, at, at anybody who's been through our discipleship process. They're moments of breakthrough, they're moments of clarity, and here's the thing. You can have power or influence, but you can rarely have both. You can have power or you can have influence, but you can really have both. The model of the world is influence through power. And here's what I mean by that. You use money, position, personality, gender, physical size to shape the world to your ideal kingdom. And we've all heard this phrase, absolute power corrupts. The world tells us that the way you influence is through force. Force people to bend to your will. Force the world around you to be what you want it to be. And there are books written about how we're supposed to do this. But that's not how Jesus' kingdom works. You see, the human power is not the way of Jesus or his kingdom. The only blood spilt to bring about Jesus' kingdom was his own. That was the only blood that was spilt. It doesn't come through violence or forth force. It doesn't come because of our church programs or the size of our building or because we're Lutheran or Baptist, and I, I'm going to say something that might get me in trouble, but I don't care. I don't care if you're Lutheran. I care that you love Jesus. 
We are a Lutheran church. That's our flavor. I get that. And, and I, I believe the reason why I'm okay with it, because I agree with a lot of Luther's theology. I don't agree with all of it. But if you're not Lutheran, do you love Jesus? Yes, amen. Welcome to the party. I'm not going to stand in heaven. It's not going to be like, oh, first I got to go through Martin Luther and make sure I was Lutheran enough to get to Jesus. That's not what we're about. Luther is our flavor. Praise God. And trust me, I thank God for the Lutheran church. God has done amazing things, just like he is through the Baptist church, through the Presbyterian church, the Vineyard, the non-denominational, the Pentecostal, the Charismatic. God's church and kingdom is so much bigger than ours. The kingdom comes when the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, comes to redeem, reconcile, and restore us back to our kingdom identity as sons and daughters of the king. That's how the kingdom comes. It's a future kingdom. There was a time in my life where I thought, the reason why I prayed your kingdom come, your will be done, was some future thing that was going to happen. We were just waiting for Jesus to return. Let the world burn. It's okay because Jesus is going to return. But it's interesting. He says, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning God's kingdom is supposed to happen here and now. It is still coming. There is going to come a final day when Jesus returns. But we need to see, and God wants to see, his kingdom power move in our world now. How many of you agree with that? And who does that? Who does God do that through? You and me. Through the church. That's why we're not in competition. We're not competing with any other church around here. We're uniting with every church around here. Any church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus, that wants to live by God's word, even if we don't agree on everything, as long as Jesus is central and we live by God's word and the core tenets of faith, we're all on the same team. And we need to live and act like that. Now, what are the implications for this? Well, for my life, for my neighborhood, for my world, if Jesus wants to return now, that means Jesus wants to see things happen now. He wants to see elements of the kingdom moved out into Clear Lake, into Mason City. And if you're visiting wherever you live, that's where God has planted you. That's where God wants to move his kingdom in and through you to the world around you. He wants us to set people from the, free from the shackles of sin. Now, I, I, when I wrote this, I felt like the Lord wanted to share this this morning, okay? And I'm going to do something a little bold. And I know this is a little scary, and that's okay, okay? Can I have everybody just close your eyes for a second? And, and please honor me, and, and I'm, trust me, just trust me for a moment, okay? Everybody keep your eyes. Jesus wants to set people free from the shackles of sin. Some of you here have things in your life that are holding you captive, and I'm going to ask you to do something. And you don't, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I am asking you to put a hand up and, and at any point, okay? Some of you need to be set free from addiction, from drugs and alcohol, from pornography, from the fear of man, from pride, ego, and status. If that's you, lift your hand up. If you need freedom in one of those areas, just leave your hand up for a second. It's okay. No one's looking. Some of you need to be set free from physical illness, cancer, back and hip injuries, other things that have been done. If that's you, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you need freedom for physical issues... Some of you need freedom from emotional scars and wounds that have kept you prisoner for far too long, from fear and shame, guilt and condemnation, from anger and hatred. If you need freedom from that, raise your hand. Here's the thing. I believe in a God who can heal now and who wants to heal now in all areas. If you've got your hand raised, I'm going to pray right now. And, and here's what I want you to do. At the end of this, we're all just going to say the name of Jesus together. And I'm believing that God's going to bring some physical healing. He's going to bring some emotional healing. He's going to set people free from addiction. Right now, Lord Jesus, in your powerful name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we claim freedom. In whose name? In whose name? 
Right now, Jesus, we come and proclaim that you have brought freedom for the prisoners, for the captives, believing that you heal. It's not through man. It's not through the church. It's through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Let's say that one more time. In Jesus' name. Whose name? And real loud, I want everybody to say amen really loud. One, two, three. Amen. Now, can we just give a clap? Here's the thing. You can give it. That's, that's okay. Here's the thing. How do I know that Jesus wants to do that? Because that's the prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. You know what heaven is? It's a place that is completely unhindered by sin. Heaven is a place where sin does not exist. Physical ailment does not exist. Cancer, hip problems, leg problems, emotional scars, none of that exists. That's what Jesus wants here and now. And we need to be a church that lives that way. We need to step up in faith and not be afraid to proclaim the gospel because then we go out and proclaim what Jesus has done. The kingdom of God comes from a different way. Power through influence. Did you catch that? Man's kingdom is influence through power. God's kingdom is power through influence. Imagine if you get to go into your workplace and talk about how God is restoring your marriage. And someone's like, wait, what's going on there? Well, I got to tell you what God's doing. You come in, imagine seeing physical healing, emotional healing, and you get to proclaim God's kingdom. How many of you believe God's going to do something amazing through that? That's called the testimony. That is the witness of the saints. That's what we're called to do. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, we're going to give you an invitation to receive Christ. But here's why I want you to hear this. Our job is not to bring power to the world. It's to influence the world through God's power. We are meant to be kingdom influencers. That's where real power happens. You want to know who's shaking in his boots right now? Satan. Because that's where our real power exists, is through the name of Jesus we proclaim victory over Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And that's what the church has been doing for centuries. Hospitals, schools, the abolitionist movement, the end of slavery, those things were started by the kingdom of God moving here and now in history. And these changes came largely in part because of Jesus-loving, spirit-filled, gospel-driven, kingdom-vision men and women who prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back, and, and I, we're going to end here quickly. And I realize we're a little past, but I, I hope you're okay with it. I feel like God's doing something. We're good? We good? Okay, cool. All right, check this out. Paul in prison. Your circumstances do not have to dictate what's going on inside of you. When Paul was in a Roman prison... God opened up all the prison gates and all the, the guards were like, oh my gosh, we're going to be put to death because the prisoners escaped. Paul hung out. He didn't leave even though he had been set free. Why? Because he realized that his influence was more important than his freedom. He realized that his influence was more important than his freedom, so he stuck around. He led the jail keepers to Christ. When, Jesus, when, when Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel on house arrest, they literally chained a guard to him. You want to know who the real prisoner was there? It wasn't Paul. It was the Roman guard who had to hear him talk about Jesus all the time. Maybe God has you in a circumstance, not because you're a prisoner, but because you get to talk about the God who sets the prisoners free. This is kingdom power. Jesus never promised an easy life. He promised abundant life. It's much harder to pray that the kingdom first begins in us, in our life, yet that's where it starts. The kingdom must start in your life, in your heart, in your mind. And this is why we have the struggle. There are two kingdoms. 
We have this kingdom of man and we have the kingdom of the world and God is calling us to something bigger. Now I'm going to say this and, and I'm, this is not PC and I'm, I'm okay with that. Here we go. See, we have this thing going on in our world right now that when people, don't, when people mess up, it doesn't matter if they messed up 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago, what do we want to do? We get rid of them. We call it cancel culture. The human world, the, the man's kingdom cancels people. God's kingdom cancels sin. Now, but there's a caveat to that. And there's an important part, and I need you to hear this. One of the greatest influences we can have as a church is that when a person confesses and repents from their sin and surrenders their life to Jesus, there is not only forgiveness, there is redemption. Sin gets canceled when people own their stuff and bring it to the cross. Not simply because Jesus died, but because we recognize he died for the sins we're dealing with. We need to stop canceling people and start canceling sin, but it starts with repentance. Some of you here need sin canceled in your life. Let us come and start being the people God has called us to be. I want to leave you with the big idea. Yes, one day Jesus will return with his kingdom and overthrow sin and death. But until then, God is inviting us, his people, his family, to bring his kingdom where he has planted us to show the world that Jesus is king. Amen? Amen. We preach something different. You can have power or influence. We want to be a church of influence. We want to influence our culture. That's where the real power is found. The kingdom of man wields the power of politics, position, title, money, size, gender, popularity to try and force change. We don't force change. We let the Holy Spirit change. The kingdom of God wields its influence through love, humility, gentleness, truth, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and servanthood. Our job is to serve the world. We let the Holy Spirit convict it. God is doing something mighty in Zion, and it's because we believe this. Every kingdom of man is temporary. Every empire will eventually fall, but God's king, kingdom is eternal. You and I get to be a part of something eternal that will last forever. This is why it doesn't have borders and boundaries. Borders and boundaries shifts. God's kingdom isn't limited by geography. It's limited by our obedience. Let us be a people who obey the capital of God's kingdom resides in your heart, in who you are. Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me? We're going to come and worship and take our offering. Thank you guys for being here, for being a couple minutes late. I appreciate it. God's doing some things. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're listening, and maybe the Holy Spirit's messing with you right now, I want maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe you're sitting there going, I don't like this. This is super uncomfortable. That might be the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm calling, I'm beckoning you, I'm messing with you because I want you to come home. If you need Jesus this morning, surrender your life to Christ. Let us come and bring our offering in worship as an act of worship and obedience. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.